Welcome to the Notion Podcast. This is Reimagining. Hi, I'm Paul. I am with Stephen, as always, for Reimagining. And today, predictable hiring. I mean, guys, I'm thirsty for some predictability. So, Stephen, please introduce our yeah, we all want a bit. Of, we all want a bit of that. And uh, it's kind of the opposite of the um, unprecedented, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, our next guest is Marius Luther. Marius is a founder of Hey Jobs, which is a predictable hiring platform. He's a serial entrepreneur. And what Hey Jobs does, which is really, really interesting, is they're matching people and employers with their best job. And they've had some extraordinary success over the last few years. They've founded the business, founded with his co-founder, also called Marius. Yes, I remember. (laughs) And we led the Series A in 2017. And, you know, I'm fascinated to talk to Marius about his experience because, you know, the lockdown has affected employers and employees in equal measure. So it's going to be fascinating to learn about his experience over the last few months. Marius, welcome. Thank you for the very kind introduction. Happy to be on you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. So let's just jump straight in. So tell me, when and how did you realize the significance of this pandemic? I think I read about it pretty early because there was some things going on on Twitter. But the real event that I noticed was on the 5th of March, when I was scheduled to do a business trip to Western Germany, to Cologne and speak and visit a couple of enterprise customers. And I already felt unsure about whether to go, but in the end I went and I remember disinfecting my hands all the time and trying not to touch people's hands and so on. And so that was kind of my last memory before everything collapsed and and went into lockdown, so to speak. And the day after I spoke to one of our employees and he said, we've always been pretty good at doing things ahead of the curve don't you feel we all need to go into home office because this thing is going to grow very quickly? And I actually, I looked at the stats and we all looked at the stats. And I think for us startup guys, like metrics are kind of normal. So we are sometimes pretty good at looking at growth rates and understanding the difference between exponential growth and just linear growth. And when we saw those growth rates, we were like, we wish we had those growth rates in our business because they were pretty pretty, pretty strong, right? And so the next day, I think we communicated to the company and we said, look, tomorrow everyone is going home, take your stuff. And we organized transports and kind of brought everyone home to safety, so to speak. And that's, that's, I think, how it started for me. And tell us a little bit about how it felt, kind of as the significance really sunk in. It has multiple layers, the whole thing, right? So the first thing was the healthcare layer was you need to protect your employees and make sure they don't get infected. We need to help the country essentially help flatten the curve so the medical system is not overheated. And that was the first priority. And once that was done, you think about, okay, how do we organize remote work now with everyone being at home? And I think that's that's kind of the second layer. And then the third layer you very quickly realize is, oops, it's not just kind of the working mode that's affected, but the whole business in terms of customers are affected and numbers are affected. And then we had customers calling in and say, please stop our job ads because there's no way we can conduct interviews next week. And so then I would say step for step, the significance sinks in. I think at the beginning, as an entrepreneur, you're quite used to crises or at least critical situations. And I think over the last 10 years of being an entrepreneur, my co-founder and I said we are on this eternal roller coaster where 
really bad things and really good things can happen in a matter of hours. And so I think probably for us, it was a, or for entrepreneurs, it was a more normal thing to react to a crisis than maybe for a lot of other people. And so the first instincts are just, you solve a problem, right? The problem is how, how can everyone work from home? And you solve that. And then you move on to the next problem rather than being very, say, philosophical about what the impact may be. You are much more hands-on in trying to solve the problems at hand. And yeah. over the next weeks, you then think through, okay, what does that mean for 2020? What does that mean for 2021? What does that mean for our fundraising plans, right? So that's kind of then the last level where you, you think much more long-term about the impact that this may have on your business. So let's kind of talk about the impact and, and how you came to terms with the changes that, that you needed to make to the organization. What we realized is when Corona kind of started in Germany, we went into lockdown like mid-March and literally shops being closed. And that meant kind of business activity came to a halt. But I think what we all hoped for was this is only going to be temporary for like four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. And then there would be another phase, which I think we are in now, which is the lockdown is over, but that doesn't mean the economy is back to normal, right? And so I think we, we always try to think about these two phases. And I think I termed a coin or there's a, there's a term in German, which says Aufsichtfahren. And it means, say, you're driving in the fog, your car, you try to only drive as fast as you can see ahead, kind of, right? And I think that's the mode we went in was literally looking week by week and month by month, how are things developing? What does that mean for cash? What does that mean for revenues? And what does that mean in terms of adjustments that we have to make to our cost base? And thankfully, in Germany, there's a government scheme which allows you to essentially put your employees into furlough at different percentages. So you can tell someone you only work 50% and then as a company, you only have to pay 50% of the salary. Is that the Kurzarbeit system? Yes. I think it's a wonderful tool, which is actually a win-win-win. And it's rare that a policy tool is a win-win-win, but it essentially helps companies quickly reduce their cost base, but also quickly to ramp it up again, which is what we now did. And in, in August, we are back to 100% for the whole company. But you are able to keep that talent that has all that experience and, and knows you know, your code base and your customers and compare that to the US where you fire your whole employee base and then you have to rehire everyone. This is a much smoother way of running things. But also for the state, instead of having everyone on unemployment and then having to hire everyone, you only kind of pay a little bit, but the people still keep on being employed. And for the employee, the big advantage is they actually have to work less and they get pretty high amount of their original salary. So they get the missing part gets matched to 60% by the government. So say you're working only 50%, then you get 50% from your employer and another 30% by the state. So you end up at 80% of the pay. I think it was very smart. So we had a similar-ish scheme in the UK. However, I think the German and the Swiss, Swiss was also very similar yeah. to the one you had in Germany. I think the incentive was better because the incentive was the government will pay for even like you just mentioned, a 50%. Whereas in the UK, it was you had to stop working 
for the government to step in and help the furlough scheme, as it was called here, which meant that companies didn't have the luxury of saying, oh, I only need an employee 50% of the time, mm-hmm. then the government wouldn't step in. It would only step in if you were to completely ask her or him to stop working. And I think for that, Germany and Switzerland were very smart about the use of the, the system. Yeah, the good thing here was we then decided in monthly meetings, every mid of the month, we reviewed the numbers of the last four weeks. And then we set a configuration, we called it, for the next month. And the configuration could be something like customer success on 25%, new customer sales on 50%, R&D on 70%. But four weeks on, we might change these percentages depending on how business picks up. And so it really gives the company a lot of flexibility. Now, the critical point you need to manage is obviously fairness and transparency within your company and to communicate to your employees that they feel treated the right way. And I think that was a big priority from from the beginning to be very transparent there about what we are doing and how how we are steering through the crisis. I love that analogy of um, only driving as fast as you can see. And uh, you're an extraordinarily ambitious team. And uh, in this time period, you kind of moved from, if you like, playing to win to kind of playing to survive. Did you think about it like that at all? Is that the kind of experience that you had? Yeah, I, I mean, at least I think after the first couple of weeks, the realization sets in that you're not in a super high economic growth environment anymore, but in a much more depressed economic environment, right? And then you think about what does that mean for our market? And and the recruitment market is cyclical in nature, right? So you won't have as many hires being made in a crisis as in a boom phase. That's pretty clear. But then we went a few levels deeper and we identified a lot of industries that were hiring as much, say, healthcare or even more than before, say, logistics powering e-commerce. And then it's really about deciding what's the best strategy going forward, where do we focus to make sure we can still grow. And I think as a startup or grown-up, whatever, scale-up, you have the advantage that you don't have 100% of the market yet, right? So we are probably at about 1.5% market share. So even if the total market goes down by 30%, that still means there's still uh, 68.5, say, companies out of 100 that don't work with us yet and that we can still win. And I think that perspective is very important also to motivate your employees internally to say, we are still so tiny and there's still so many companies out there that are still hiring that we can still win as customers and grow. And really putting the focus on the things that work and not on, say, a whining culture about how bad the economy is. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you talk a little bit about the, you know, how you've helped the business to rebound. I mean, you, you talked about that mm-hmm. monthly reconfiguration, which is really interesting. I haven't heard anybody say that in the uh, previous episodes. Um, but I wonder what else you're now doing differently, perhaps mm-hmm. in terms of you're thinking about the problem that you solve for your customers, the customers that you're working with, you touched on that a little bit, the way that you're thinking about your product the way that your employees are working. So what are you doing now that's different from before? Look, I'm going to have a really surprising answer as well for you, Steve. We're not doing that many things differently. But we looked very hard at it in May. We did a kind of a re-strategy exercise. And we said, what needs to change in the light of Corona? And I wish I could tell you we did some big pivot, or maybe I don't wish, or you know something crazy. But in the end, we said, there's still going to be lots of companies that are not finding the right employees and that desperately need 
nurses or mechanics or many other roles. And so except for focusing on the right industries that have a big hiring boom and taking a bit more of a nuanced view there, we believe our strategy was still very much intact. And then there's a lot of tactical changes that you do. For example, you can't do face-to-face visits anymore or you can't go to trade shows and you try to shift that budget into more virtual formats such as webinars. We started something we call the customer forum where we invited our customers to essentially talk to each other on a Zoom call and exchange learnings and best practices to foster our what we call our Hey community. So you do a lot of these tactical changes as digital increases over offline activities, but we felt our overall strategy to build the next generation talent platform that matches people and jobs much better than ever before is very much intact. I think that makes sense. But I mean, tactically, I think there's some really interesting things you've you've done there. I think that Mm -hmm. idea of a customer forum, uh, I would imagine, was was quite powerful. Thinking about the nuances of the different customers that you serve and being able to pivot in that way is, is also powerful. I'll just go back to what you said before. You're a tiny percentage of the jobs market placements mm-hmm. in, in your target market. Let's say one, one and a half percent, as you, as you said. I mean, you fundamentally believe that the way people go about hiring is broken. So how do you kind of then reimagine the future of your business as you 10, 20, 30x the number of organizations and, and jobs that are being placed through pay jobs? How do you reimagine the future of your business and your industry as a whole? Yeah, I think the analogy that I like to use is in many areas of life over the last 10 years, kind of acquiring certain things has become a a really seamless process. So also during COVID-19, you could see if you needed something in your home, you would go on Amazon, you'd order it, and it would be there the next day in most of the cases. If you now tell me, Stephen, you're looking for a marketing manager for Notion, I think you want to click a button and then have the ideal marketing manager there the next day. But that experience is not... Doesn't work like that, does it? Is not the current state of things. But I think we can get very close to that over the next decade or so through advancements in a technology such as machine learning to identify the right candidates that will really fit your job and vice versa through software to assess people much better. And essentially, all of these technological advancements can bring the cost of the recruiting process down a lot. So the traditional way has been you do a job ad, you spend a thousand euros, you get 50 candidates, 40 of them you screen out, then you talk to 10 in a first interview, then you do a second interview. This whole process is very long, very expensive. And in 50% of the cases, it will fail. And that's when you'll turn to search firm and they will go through the same process and come back with a lot of candidates. And we believe that we can automate this experience and thereby bringing down the cost per hire to very low figures and the time to hire down to a few days by essentially matching to the right people, assessing them online, and then delivering you a short list of candidates within the next day or so. But do that not through manual work, but through technology. Do you believe that's going to be accelerated? with the changes that we're seeing in the world? I think the acceleration is going to be towards efficiency. And I think organizations will be looking very hard at the things that we've been doing in the past. Are we going to restart these activities? So I think what you saw in 2008, 2009 was, it was kind of the nail in the coffin for the print advertising industry. So Google was already coming along. Then there was a big crisis, marketing budgets being frozen. And when people restarted, I think there was a lot of push to say, 
let's maybe not restart the old way, but think about what's the best way to go about this problem in the future. And I think something very similar is happening right now. And we've seen when we track our rebound versus that of incumbents of job boards that we've seen, we've rebounded a lot quicker, which speaks to the fact that we are kind of their number one source that they turn to the moment they want to ramp up again, because there is this reliability and predictability. And so that's an acceleration that we are seeing. There's a bigger story there as well, isn't there? That you often talk about matching people to the ideal job and, and the ideal job to the ideal person. That's a really powerful, evocative concept. And I'd imagine with the transitions that we're seeing in the world, that that would be something people would be thinking about. And if I'm going to use my time, I want to use it on things I really care about and I'm really good at. Yeah. Yeah, I think what what you're pointing towards is that I think if you look at the largest job sites in the world, say Indeed, the experience is still you put in a job title and a city and then you click search and you get returned with tens of thousands of jobs that might match that title and are in that city. And that's the experience that we've gotten to. And when you think about the fact how you get products or you get recommended products on Amazon that others may have bought, it's a much more sophisticated experience. And we think by having lots of data on job seekers, that's maybe non-intuitive. So things like how long a commute is okay for this person, what types of working hours are good for this person? Maybe even things like what kind of purpose really drives this person? Is this a person who really cares about the environment or is this a person who really cares about making money? And then having the same sort of deep data on jobs. So traditionally on jobs, all you know is the requirements to do the job and the tasks of the job. I mean, that's what's in a traditional job. ad. But what we've seen is Applicants are much more interested in what's the salary, what are the working hours, what is the manager like to work with, what's the purpose of this company. That's very different than a traditional job ad. And so what we're trying to do is on both sides of the market, get a lot of these data points and our matching technology relies on a lot of these data points and looking at what do people like and what have they looked at and what have other people looked at that have looked at previous things and trying to build statistical correlations from there. Have you come across the Japanese philosophy of Ikigai? I haven't. This is possibly a little bit of a tangent, but it talks about the fundamental sense of satisfaction and contentment that a human has when they are spending their time working on something with purpose that they're good at, that they're paid to do, and that they love to do. And very few people actually can tick those four boxes. Mix of passion, mission, profession, and vocation. vocation exactly. It's, and, it's and a when, wonderful concept. Four things come together. And you're right mm-hmm. at the heart. You're saying, I'm doing, I'm doing something I'm good at. That's a good feeling. I'm yeah. doing things actually I really love to do because that might be different right? Mm -hmm. And I'm paid to do this. That's a good thing. But actually, it serves a bigger purpose. If you can bring those four things together, it sounds to me that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, our, our vision as a company is to enable everyone to find the right job to live a fulfilling life. And maybe... Those four dimensions you just mentioned are the key to living a fulfilling life through your job, basically. Marius, you said you've been riding a roller coaster for quite a long time. And, you know, founders, especially startups, they thrive on that. But still, it's been an up and down. But how do you now feel about the business and the future of of Hey Jobs and, and of course, yourself and family? I mean, I think, first of all, 
being in Germany, we were probably lucky by the way the healthcare crisis was handled and the way that we've come out of this, and also lucky from an economic perspective to have methods such as Kurzarbeit, which really helped give us flexibility as a business and having investors that support us and, and actually invested during COVID-19 to give us further funding to do investments in the market. So I actually feel very bullish because we have, I think, the strongest team ever. I think relative in the market, we are positioned super strong. What I meant about like the, the quicker rebound and the quicker pickup. So all we need is overall market demand to come back to kind of pre-COVID levels. But I think we're in for the long-term game. So right now, I think my mindset has shifted from it doesn't matter what's in August or in September. What really matters is how can we be the leading talent platform in 2025? And really trying to put a lot of thought into that. And I think that gives me a lot of motivation and purpose. I think if I took it too much of a short-term focus, then I think I might be disappointed because I might have a client that I have a really good relationship with. And I think we did a tremendous job working with that client over the last years, but they're just not having the budgets right now to commit to huge deals, right? And that is obviously not a great feeling because you feel you invested a lot. But I think if you take a macro picture, then all of these investments will pay off over the long run. And these customers will come back to the player and the market that they feel offers the best value for them. Yeah, it's been fascinating watching and, and learning from you guys over the last couple of years. And I'll watch with um, fascination and learn a lot, I'm sure, from the journey you go on on the, on the next five. And it's been a pleasure to speak to you, Maris, and, and really fascinating as ever. Thank you ever so much. Thanks so much, Stephen. And thanks for all of your support, both personally and, and, and through Notion. I think that was second to none in terms of the VC we see world. And I think I told you, I think you guys were really, really good at COVID-19. And maybe that comes from the entrepreneurial background that all of you have as well, which I think prepares you for crisis probably better than most other backgrounds. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Thank you. you.